We now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Even before we had our first day here on earth, and we believe that, you know, God's hand, God has a plan and a purpose for every one of us, even for little ones. And right from the time they're born, we want to pray for them that they would begin to move, begin to, as they grow up, they will begin to understand God's plan, God's purpose for their lives. As they grow, in, grow up, they get a hold of God's plan, God's purpose, and live for that the rest of their lives. Okay, they're going to name their child others, Abraham Thomas. I want us to pray as a church family. I like you as a prayer. I just want you to extend your hand towards them as a family and as a, as a baby. Just pray. Pray that others will grow up to fulfill all of God's plan, all of God's purpose for his life. As we give back to God the gift that he has given to their, Joseph and Anupama and to us as a church family. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we acknowledge that children are a gift from the Lord. And God, it's our joy to receive your gift. We thank you for blessing Joseph and Anupama with, with others and us as a church family, God. This morning, in Jesus' name, we dedicate others, Abraham, back to you, Lord God. We dedicate his life unto you. We pray, Father, that as he grows up, he will get an understanding of your plans, your purposes for his life. Of that which you have ordained for his life. We pray that he will lay a hold of it. That he will pursue it. With all that he has. That he will fulfill the will of God in his generation. We pray, Father God, that you will raise him up. To be a strong man of God. That people will know him as a pillar. As someone who is full of strength in the Lord. Unshakable. Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That he will be a pillar in your house and in your kingdom. We proclaim this for his life. And we bless him and dedicate him. We pray for your grace and your wisdom upon the parents. That they will be able to guide him, direct him, and bring him up in the fear of the Lord. And for us as a church family, God, that as long as we have the opportunity, that we will be able to give in to his life and nurture him in the faith. And we bless them in Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 107, verse 2, as we get ready to uh, make our declaration this morning. I just want to share this quick testimony with you as you're getting ready to turn there. You know, in our North Church, we have uh, quite a lot of African students worshiping with us. And uh, with a new batch that came, a new batch of students, there was a young man, his name was Joseph. Some of you might have met him. His name is Joseph, and uh, he just came into India like about three months Three, four months maybe since he's been here. About two Sundays ago, he suddenly called. He said, uh, Pastor, I have a problem. Did, uh, did Nancy tell you that I have a problem? Sorry, Nancy is the youth pastor of our North Church. I just kind of blanked out for a minute. Did Nancy tell you that I have a problem? I said, uh, well, Nancy told me that you were looking for a bus, but I, I don't, she didn't tell me that you have a problem. He said, so I said, okay, Joseph, tell me what's your problem. And he said, I have a problem. There are 20 students in my college who want to come to church. But I don't know how to bring them. I just need a bus. Can you arrange a bus? I was like, Joseph, that's a good problem to have. <laughs> now, he's studying in Koshi's college. It's kind of very far you know, uh, away from Yalanka. But I said, Joseph, we'll arrange the bus for you. And uh, last Sunday, it was the first Sunday, we sent the bus to Koshi's. 
for 20 students. He rounded up 20 students from his college, brought them to church. Amen? And that's amazing. Give God a hand for that. And uh, again, this Sunday, I, I mean, last Sunday I was ministering at South and Central, so I didn't get to see that. Uh, all of a sudden, our attendance in the north went from like about, you know, 40, 50 to up to 70 or 75. <laughs> Just one guy rounding up 20 students from his college. And I was there today and this morning preaching. It looks like you're preaching to an African congregation. <laughs> Some you're standing and like about, you know, more than 50% of the, of the people there are all African students sitting in the church. It's like, God, oh, what, what an amazing thing you're doing. But I'm just sharing the testimony with you because, you know, talking to Pastor Moses, um, it was the pastor of Canada Church, I said, you know, we need more people like Joseph. Amen? Just willing to step out. And all he's doing is just rounding up students from his college and saying, come to church. I don't know how many more he rounded up because we had like another five new people stand up this morning. So I don't know how many more he's got coming to church. But I just want to encourage you to do that. And I'll reach out to as many people as you can and just, you know, introduce them to the Lord. Bring, if they to it, uh, welcome them to the church. Uh, Psalm 107 verse 2, the Bible says, uh, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If God has declared that he has done something in your life for you, part of what the Bible teaches us is you need to say it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God has redeemed you from the hand of the enemy. Let the healed of the Lord say so. Let the delivered of the Lord say so. Let the blessed of the Lord say so. Because God has done that work for you. Amen? And it's in his word. Everything he's done for you and me through the cross, he has declared it for us in his word. Let us say what the Lord has done for us. And you might not feel like it. You might not feel like saying, you know, I feel very redeemed today. I feel very blessed today. You may not feel like it, but his word says that he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. His word says that you've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. His word says that you've been delivered from this present evil age. Amen? So let's stand up to our feet as we just declare what the Lord has declared about us, concerning us, what the Lord has done for us. I want you to hold your Bible high up in the air and say this out loud with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything that God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I am a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'd just like to request you to remain standing for a moment, please. This morning, we have a very special guest here to minister to us. Uh, Reverend Andrew Taylor. And he's here with his son, Luke. Luke is 15. We're delighted to have them both with us. Uh, for those of you, Andrew has ministered to us uh, several times in the, in the years that have gone by. And, uh, for those of you who don't know Andrew, he's the person who was my school teacher at Bishop Cotton Boys School. And he's the one who led me to the Lord many, many years ago in my school. He used to teach English and biology and I several other subjects. And one afternoon, one of my friends said, you know, will you come with me to the chapel? And, and uh, I said, okay, you know, I wonder why, 
they were going to the chapel because we usually play football and cricket during the lunch break. We don't go to chapel Thursday, you know. So he said, come with me to chapel. I went to chapel. Andrew Taylor was there leading a prayer group with students in that school. And the next day he spoke to me. He prayed with me. The Lord touched my life ever since that time. Something happened in me. I can't describe it in words, but my life changed. That's when I met the Lord and God changed my life. So it's our joy and delight to have Reverend Andrew Taylor with us. Put your hands together and welcome him this morning. You may be seated. It is an honor to be here and to be with you all and to see, uh, relatively speaking, young Ashish. I've said before, Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he calls them my joy and crown in the Lord. So of all the boys that got saved, in that time at Bishop Cotton's and all the others I've had the privilege of leading to Christ, you have as your pastor one who's a gem in my crown. So you're blessed to have him and Amy and the precious family. I'm extremely proud of my son in the Lord. I sent out an email to many old Catonians who are my contemporaries or students. And if you're here, I thank you for coming. Please don't leave without personally saying hello to me at the end. There's other friends, and uh, I'd like to especially make mention. My late wife, two years ago, I didn't expect to see her uncle here this morning. William, would you please stand? With Betsy, please stand. William Rajiva is the uncle of my late wife, Betsy. And his wife, Betsy, they've blessed us in many ways. He works in Saudi, so I didn't expect to see you. I'm honored to see you both today. Thank you. I need tissues. Okay, I'd like to, uh, those are just some pleasant surprises, so I want to move. I'd like to introduce my son to you once more, so you'll see the swings in my personality. Luke, can you please stand, son? Luke is 15 and in grade 10, and a psychologist, friend of mine in Phoenix, Arizona, had diagnosed him with a serious complex. It's called a TDH complex. I'm not sure if you need to keep that in your prayer, though, because TDH stands for tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> Just feel like I've forgotten a few things. But if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 12, and I'll be reading from verses 26 through 30. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to, the sac- to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah. And they shall kill me, and go again unto Rehoboam king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel, and made two calves of gold, and said to them, and here's the title of today's message, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And the thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. I'd like to give you a little historical background to this passage. Saul was anointed to be the first ever king of Israel. And then the kingdom was rent from Saul and given to another. I'm a teacher, you can keep talking to me. David, a man after God's own heart. And then after David, the kingdom of Israel was passed on to his son, Solomon. Had a very prosperous and peaceful reign. But after Solomon, what happened? Who took over as king of Israel after Solomon? That was his son, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, if you read earlier in the book of Kings... He went for counsel 
advice to the elders in the kingdom of Israel. Now it's interesting in the church, we don't have youngers, we have elders. We have young ones, we have youth, but elders. So he goes to the elders, Rehoboam, for counsel as to how should I rule this people of Israel. And the elders advise and counsel him to rule gently, wisely, kindly. Then Rehoboam goes to the youngers, to the Rambos of his time, for counsel. Put a caveat in here that God uses young people too. But unfortunately, the young people in Rehoboam's time told him, you need to be tough, firm, hard with them. Harder than your father Solomon. He was too easy. Rehoboam, unfortunately, went with the evil counsel of the younger ones and he came back to Israel and said, my little finger will be thicker than my father's hand. There was a split in the kingdom of Israel and the northern ten tribes went under a new king named Jeroboam who became the king over Israel. And the southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin stayed under Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. This was the beginning of what is called when Israel became a divided nation. So Rehoboam over Israel, Jeroboam over Judah and Benjamin. We go to slide two or picture two. So the northern kingdom of Israel, ten tribes stayed under a new king named Jeroboam and the southern Judah and Benjamin with Rehoboam. Now there was the annual big feast that was held in Jerusalem. You remember how Elkanah took his wives Peninnah and Hannah to worship at Jerusalem annually. You remember how when the Lord Jesus was a boy, he was taken by Joseph and Mary to the temple at Jerusalem. Jeroboam, king of Israel, you notice that Jerusalem is not in his territory This is where we read the passage. He figures, oh my word, it's time for the annual feast. The people from northern Israel, my ten tribes, are going to go down to Jerusalem to worship at the feast. And when they go to Jerusalem, their hearts would be turned away from me to Rehoboam. And they will then kill me and the kingdom will go back to Rehoboam. And so Jeroboam, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel... He also goes to seek counsel and advice. And he goes for counsel and what comes out is this. You build two golden calves and put them up, one in Dan, one in Bethel. And he tells the people, listen, it is too much for you to go all the way up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, these two golden calves which brought you out of Egypt. Worship here. Let me bring it into postmodern 21st century India. Third slide, if you don't mind, young man. You see Bethel in Jerusalem? By the way, I'll give you a freebie about Jerusalem. You saw something circled in Jerusalem? It has nine letters. The three middle letters are USA. That's just for free. Being an English teacher, I keep playing with words. But God said, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. The United States has been the strongest single ally of Israel from its inception as a nation in 1948. That's just a free thought on the side. Now, between Bethel and Jerusalem, 
All you see in this last slide is a little dotted line in the arrow. Do you know how far away it is distance-wise from Bethel to Jerusalem? It is... Pastor Ashish, how far was your drive from North Church to here? You know approximately how many kilometers? Twelve? It is 19 kilometers from Bethel to Jerusalem. But it's basically the equivalent of saying, you know what guys, petrol prices have shot up. Save a little money. Shortcut. If you're in middle to north, just go to Dan. Middle to south, just stop at Bethel. Jeroboam is smart enough that he does not say, don't go to Jerusalem. He knows psychology of human mind. If this is fresh paint, don't touch. He got to touch it. Don't say no. We are rebels by nature. He does not say don't go to Jerusalem. He says it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold, here's a shortcut. Save some money. Save gas. Stay with me. I want to point out something else before I move on into the heart of the message. You see the historical background taking place? Now what does Bethel mean? El stands for El Elohim God. Bethel is the house of God. The audacity of this man, Jeroboam, king, man, whatever, he dares to put up a golden idol in the city called the house of God. And in case you think he was that audacious, the question for you and I is, what idol has been erected in this house? God. The word of God says, for the tabernacle of God is with men. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're not talking just an idol of gold or wood or stone or plastic. Anything that takes precedence over Jesus Christ is an idol in our lives. And lest we thumb our nose and scoff at Jeroboam, have we not been guilty of doing the same many a time? I'm not yelling, I'm just passionate. See, a pastor's job is primarily to comfort the afflicted. A teacher's job is primarily to afflict the comfortable. So please don't walk out on me. Stay till the end. Just as well, I'm not here every Sunday. He'll come back and stroke your back next Sunday. What idol has taken precedence over Jesus Christ in our hearts? And what does Dan mean? The other city where he put the other golden calf. You've heard of Daniel? Daniel. El God. God is my judge. The audacity of this man Jeroboam, he puts up an idol in the house of God and says, go ahead, judge me if you want, make my day. And the people went and worshipped at those shrines and it became a sin in Israel. Just a quick fast forward. You know what happened to the priests that worshipped at those two shrines? Read later on in scripture. Their bones were burned on those two altars. I like, that's my God. No compromise. Their bones were burned on those altars for that sin and compromise of worshipping idols and leading the people into sin. One other thing about both these kings, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Both of them sought advice and counsel. And both of them took evil advice. Who are you listening to? Whose counsel are you hearing? Whose voice are you listening to? I love people. 
don't, don't think I'm upset with you. Is it the voice of the world? Is it the voice of Lucifer sweetly whispering, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem? Or is it the voice of God? Is it the voice of the servants of God? Is it the voice of the word of God? Is it the voice of the spirit of God? Two kings, both struck out. Or here we'd say clean bold. Both received evil advice. That's the historical background. Don't you love the word of God? When you read those few verses, you thought, what is this guy talking about? It's mumbo jumbo to me. Now you see the word of God come alive. Hey, my notes took off on me. That's why you're smiling. I want you to consider a couple of folk with me from scripture now. In light of the scripture which says it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Consider now Esau. He's strong, probably muscular, well-defined, a hunter, a man's man. He's coming back from the hunt, whether he had a deer, dead deer slung across his shoulder or what creature, of what prey, I don't know. But he's tired, he's hungry, and he comes by and I'm going to Indianize this. And there's Jacob sitting there with a nice pot of mutton biryani. I just Indianized that. You're with me, right? Come on, man, give me some biryani. You've got to give me a birthright first. See, do you think, how do you think Esau recognized that? Because it was made by the same cook, by his mom. He knew. Do you not think this grown man wouldn't have known that there's a, if there's some biryani in the pot here, there's a lot more at home? Don't you think he could have just made it a few more? I don't know whether it was 1K, 2K, 3K, at home and he'd have got all the biryani he wanted. But you know what for Esau? It was too much for Esau to go up to his Jerusalem. We call it instant gratification. I want what I want when I want it. I call that stinking thinking. Now notice I didn't say the Lord, but I. Be careful before you say God, 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 I tune you out. I want to know what's in your heart. Don't get so spiritual. Here's another quote. The more spiritual you are, the more natural you become. Be real. There's no use in being so heavenly minded as to be of no earthly use. Okay, let's continue with the message. Instant gratification. I want it now. He got it now, but at a terrible price. His birthright was gone, was lost. He wanted to kill his brother afterwards to get it back. But there was no way he was going to get it. But why do we point the finger at Esau? We need to look at ourselves. Esau was enticed away by a delicious substitute. How many times, be honest with ourselves, have you and I been enticed away out of the fullness of God's will and purposes for our life because we craved a delicious substitute? So when I say consider Esau, it means we need to do some introspection and look into our own hearts. But no, we wanted that flat no matter how much the mortgage was. We wanted that car no matter how much the payments were. I want what I want when I want it. And that is exactly and precisely why the United States is in an economic crisis today. Because greed filled the eyes and the hearts of the people of that nation by and large. But before we point the finger at them, we have to admit we have followed suit. Because instead of being patient 
and waiting for God's best. Our attitude was, I want what I want when I want it. And we pay a terrible, terrible price. May we beware that we too are not enticed away by a delicious substitute. Consider with me Samson. We all know the story. But apart from being the strongest man that probably ever walked this earth, he was not just the world's number one he-man. He was also a judge over Israel. Israel had the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha. They had kings, Saul, David, but they also had judges, Gideon, Jephthah. Samson was one of their judges. So the judge was the ruler over Israel and was responsible for the nation of Israel. Remember that. He's not just a strong man. He's also the judge of Israel at that time. And he falls in love. There's nothing wrong with falling in love. Guys, girls, God has divinely hardwired us to do so. God-given gift. So that wasn't the problem. But it was who he fell in love with. His mom, dad, she's a knockout. She's the one I want. And his parents said, but son, can't you at least find a girl from Israel? Why do you have to go to the heathen, as we call them, uncircumcised Philistines? Listen to me, friends. The issue is not ethnicity. It is faith. It doesn't matter if you're Tamilian, Kanadigan, Malayali, North Indian, Anglo-Indian. I just had to throw that in there. In North India, at Bilaspur, my Bible school, my leader is a North Indian, his wife is a Malayali. I was preaching one time and said, listen, God can use a North Indian. Pointed to him, looked at his wife, he can use a South Indian, he can use an Anglo-Indian, can use anyone. It's not, and it's nothing to do with caste or with class distinction. It's an issue of faith. Can you not find a girl from among the children of Israel but for Samuel, for Samson? It's like, she's just gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous. I only want her, no one but her. Listen, younger ladies, I'm sure there's some single ones. But Pastor Ashish, I want to marry this guy. What does he say? No, but Pastor, he's such a hunk. Listen closely. Your hunk today can become your punk tomorrow. True story. A pastor friend of mine in Pennsylvania, and I need to preface this by sharing with you, I was saved at 17 in this city. Before I was saved, as a Pentecostal preacher's son, I knew I wasn't saved. I knew I hadn't made Jesus the Lord of my life. I knew all about him. I could have taught you to pray the sinner's prayer, but I was not saved. I knew I was going to hell. At least give me points for being real. I didn't deceive myself. The so long as I wasn't saved, no matter where your fa- father be a pastor, anything. If you're not saved, now don't walk out on me, let me finish the point. When you're not saved, your father is Satan. The moment you become saved, I'll prove it to you from scripture, stay with me. Don't listen to Andrew, listen to the Bible. The moment you become saved, the Bible says we're translated from darkness kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, looked straight square at the scribes and Pharisees and said, you are of your father the 
Talk to me. I'm not as bad as I look. You are of your father the devil. Jesus told them that and I recognize that my father was the devil too. But in the instant that I knelt down at the foot of the cross, my father became God. He became my heavenly father and I became his child. This pastor friend of mine in Pennsylvania, they're a blessing to our ministry. I preach in this church every year. He said, my daughter, Alyssa, was seeing this one guy who wasn't a believer. And then she started getting serious. I warned her. But when she started getting serious, I said, honey, we need to talk. She said, honey, as your father, I need to tell you something. If you go ahead and marry this man, the day that comes that you stand in front of the altar before a minister, the moment you say, I do to him and accept him as your husband, in that instant, your father-in-law becomes Lucifer. We're very quiet now after the first chuckle. And vice versa. Guys, I'll never forget what Pastor Ed Gibson told me that day. And so I share that only out of a heart of love and concern. Consider Samson. He was determined. There's nothing. Satan did not say, no, no, you can't fall in love. No, no, you can't get married. No, God has hardwired us that way. Unless, of course, he gives you the grace to remain single, which is great. He's hardwired us that way. Satan knew not to say that. But all he was whispering in Samson's ear was, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem to stay with this chick. She's super hot. You know what happened? Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what fellowship has light with darkness and righteousness with unrighteousness. Because Samson determined to have his own way, his eyes were physically gouged out of his head and he was put to a grindstone in place of an ox to grind the grain for the Philistines. Listen to these statements. If you play with sin, sin will play with Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you can ever pay. It's not worth it. Yes, we know at his death, God used Samson to bring the temple down and he killed more at his death than when he was alive. But what a tragedy. What a sad ending to a life of a judge over Israel. Husbands, men, fathers, and future fathers. Listen closely to me. By Samson insisting on his selfish little way. Not only were his eyes gouged out and he was operating like an animal. He jeopardized and endangered the safety and security of the entire nation of Israel. Because he was their judge. They were depending on him. He was the deliverer that God had raised and provided to rule them and keep them secure. Husbands, fathers, men, boys. When you flirt with sin in this area particularly, you are jeopardizing the security and safety of your marriage, of your family, of your children and your future. I'm not implying that women can't jeopardize it. But for the most part, Samson, it was too much for him to go up to his Jerusalem. He had to take a girl of the uncircumcised Philistines. Consider the rich young ruler. He comes and says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus said, you know the commandments. He said, I have kept, in other words, he said, I am Mr. Goody Two Shoes himself. I have kept them all since my youth. Now look at me, I'm going to be personal with you. I can relate to him. In my entire life, now this will shock you for me being an Anglo-Indian. In my entire life, an unlit cigarette has never sat in my lips. I don't even know if someone's on drugs. It's alien to me. If they're an alcohol, I can tell because it stinks. Plus they sway like an elephant's trunk. My whole life, never dabbled in the world. My testimony is one of the keeping power of God. So I can relate. If you think you're goody two-shoes, I can go toe-to-toe with you. But I already shared with you that at 17, I knew that my father was Satan and I was going to hell. You know why? Because the Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And I knew that my heart was blacker than the ace of spades. So no matter where you come from, listen, even good people don't go to heaven. Our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. You've heard that many times, right? Do you know what filthy rags means in the Hebrew? A disposable woman's menstrual cloth. That's how good your best deeds are in the sight of God. And I knew I needed a savior. Rich young ruler says, I've been Mr. Goody Two Shoes. Jesus says, okay. Jesus knew. He said, one thing you lack. Go sell all you have, give to the poor, come follow me. And at that saying, the Bible says the rich young ruler walked away sadly. By the way, isn't it interesting to note that Jesus then didn't turn to Judas, his treasurer, and say, hey Jude, just follow that dude and uh, set up an appointment for tomorrow. I mean, after all, he's a panakara, paisawala, if you're from the north. No. No compromise with Jesus. My friend, the Lord Jesus has spilled every last drop of blood on the cross of Calvary. He cannot stoop any lower. He's done it all. Now it's our privilege to chase after him, to run after him, to be God chasers. Jesus is not going to chase after anybody, no matter how much. Ask my son, he'll tell you. I've told him repeatedly, I don't care what house you live in. I don't care what car you drive. I don't care what clothes you wear. I look for the heart. I would venture to say, quite safely, that there's not one single person sitting here this morning of whom the Lord has asked you to sell every single thing. If that were the case, you'd be sitting here with just one shirt, pants, and chapels. No. We still have a place to live. We have some transportation mode for the most part. We have nice clothes. And don't forget the bank account. Not one of us has the Lord asked to sell every single thing. But he has commanded us in his word to pay our tithes, which if you're not sure, it's minimum 10% of your gross income, and to give offerings when the opportunity arises. Is that easy or not compared to what the Lord Jesus asked the rich young ruler? Come on, talk to me. That's a piece of cake. And yet, for many of us, when it comes to the tithe, which is 10% of your gross income, which belongs to God, it is too much for us to go up to our Jerusalem. Maybe we put 10 rupees. That's what you pay to back your car to the guy who's parking you. Because it is too much for us to go up to our Jerusalem. I know you're saying, Brother Andrew, can we please get a little lighter? Okay, here's some. That, I trust that challenges our hearts. But now, 
I want to go to the ultimate person. Consider. Hebrews 12.3 says, Now consider this man. Which man? Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We want now to look at Jesus, the ultimate example. Here's some things that's just blessed the socks out of me and I'll pray it blesses you now. Watch this. Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. He had to make his way into Jerusalem. And let's get this clear. Look at the scriptures. If you have it, you can... Mark chapter 10 verse 32. Mark 10 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. I don't know if you caught this before, my friend. Jesus knew, and every one of the disciples knew that they were out to kill him. This time it was for keeps. The Bible says they were amazed. By, they know that they want to kill Pete. They wanted to kill Jesus. If the disciples go with him, by association, they're going to get killed too. Quite likely. Now you remember they all fled, right? They ran. But right now, they're like, I can't believe this guy. He knows they want to kill him. You know what it says? He went, Jesus went before them. In other words, if every one of you is chicken, I will go to my Jerusalem alone if I have to. You can take your time. You can stay at home. You can go fishing. But if I have to go alone, I will go it alone. The Bible says he went before them. Forget the picture that there were Jesus and the disciples walking side by side. Every one of them was just as chicken as you and I have shown many times in our life. When we've been embarrassed. When we've been ashamed. And they were scared. My Jesus, our Jesus, went alone. If you don't come, it's okay. I'll go alone to my destiny. What a Jesus. He went before them. Look at another scripture here. Uh, Luke 9.51. Luke 9.51. It came to pass when the time was come that Jesus should be received up. He stood fastly set his face to Jerusalem, to go to Jerusalem. He steadfastly, in other words, he was immovable, unshakable. He could not be turned aside to the left or the right. He's steadfast. I'm not listening to anyone. No Lucifer's voice, no temptation, no tempter, no human could dissuade the Lord Jesus from going to his Jerusalem steadfastly. One more New Testament scripture. Luke 19.28 to, to, to corroborate Mark 10.32. Luke 19.28 When he had thus spoken he went before. My sisters and brothers, Jesus was walking alone. Yes, the disciples were there but they were behind him. He went alone ascending. So it was an incline. Physically, he still went alone. Uphill if it had to be all the way to his Jerusalem. But now for the cherry on the icing. 700 years before the Lord Jesus was born, 
The prophet Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah. Turn with me if you have it. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. Incredible scripture. Isaiah 50, verse 7. Isaiah prophesying about the Messiah says, and this is really Jesus speaking messianically, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. Isaiah speaking messianically says of Jesus the Messiah. That he set his face as a flint. To go to Jerusalem. You know when I'm in another country, I have to translate this. But here, this is where I experienced it. But once in two months or so, I lived in Austin Town and Dumbledore just in case you're intrigued. Once in two months or so, this guy, you know how they come, warplam, warplam, you know what I'm talking about. This guy would come with a gadget, a contraption, with a grinding stone wheel on it. And my mom would say, stop him. And she'd send us out with a stainless steel kitchen knives. And he would put this thing down. And I would be fascinated as a kid watching the sparks fly. What was he doing? That, is, that stone is flint. Not flint stone. That's, I have to think through all these things. That's the American Hollywood. That's how hollow Hollywood really is. There you go. Real flint stone grinds and sharpens tempered steel. Isaiah prophesying of Messiah says, I set my face as a flint to go up to Jerusalem. Nothing, no one could stop, not tempered steel, could stop Jesus Christ from going to his Jerusalem. Let's emulate the example of Jesus, that it will not be too much for us to go up to our Jerusalem. Amen. Thank you, Andrew, for ministering. Let me just stand to our feet and take some time now to respond. I believe it's a time, it's a word for us in season. Amen. A word that we need to hear this morning. What if God spoken to your heart this morning and where you feel, you know, that message was just for me. And you were there. Should I go up to Jerusalem or should I just do something that's easy? Maybe go to Dan, go to Bethel, do something that's more convenient, less demanding. Maybe you were there this morning, but when you came here this, to the house of the Lord this morning, you know what God spoke to you, saying, listen, you need to go up to Jerusalem. You need to go the extra mile. You need to pay the price. You need to be like Jesus. Set your face like a flint and say, God, I will go up to my Jerusalem. Is anyone here and you say, you know, I just want to draw strength from the Lord this morning to make sure that I do go up to my Jerusalem. I want to open up the altar right now. I want you to come forward. Just take some time to wait on the Lord. Just feel free to come and say, God, I know you've spoken to my heart this morning. You challenged me to go up to my Jerusalem. I learned from the lives of all these men, like Esau, like Samson, I learned from them, Lord, that compromise is not worth it. Settling for something easy just makes it more expensive. But this morning, I'm coming to you to draw strength from you. 
to go all the way up to my Jerusalem, to stick to the path that you've called me to take. I want to invite you to just come on up, just wait here. Our pastors will be there to pray with you. And just believe that God will supply strength into your heart, into your life. And that you at no point will just give in and give up. That you'll go the full distance with the Lord. Let's just take some time to wait on the Lord this morning. Jerusalem, I want you to come up forward. Just by doing this, you're saying, God, I am not settling for any shortcut. I am not settling for something that will cause me to compromise. I'm willing to go to my Jerusalem. I want you to come up and let's just wait on God. Receive strength this morning. Receive strength this morning. God, we pray for strength to be imparted in our lives. Imparted into our lives, God. Taste of strength. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus. Father, I just pray with people making decisions that God, that your grace and your wisdom will come through into their hearts and into their lives. Into our hearts, into our lives, Lord God. And we will make the right choices, the right decisions. Guide our hearts. Guide our thoughts. Guide our reasoning. Guide our understanding, God. And direct us into the path you want us to choose for our lives. May your hand of grace and wisdom rest, Lord God, and all those here who are at that juncture or in a moment of time, in a, in a season of life where important decisions are being made. May your grace and wisdom come, guiding our hearts, minds, our thoughts, our understanding, and bringing us to a place that we will choose your path, choose your way. In our lives. I pray this for us here this morning. Give you thanks. Give you thanks. Before we close, we're going to do the altar call. Ronnie is going to come and help us here. Just please bear with us for a few moments. Benefit of those who might be worshiping with us for the very first time. I'd like to give you an invitation to know Jesus. One of the greatest promises that the Word of God gives us is this. The Word of God says that God so loved the Word that He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the love of God. He sent all that He has to take your sin and mine and die on that cross that day. And this morning, if you and I, if we believe that Jesus 
is God's son and that he died on the cross and washed our sins away the bible says that we will be called the children of god if there's anyone here this morning and you you're, you're standing here and you don't know jesus if you are thinking about jesus right now i want to tell you that jesus is the answer to every one of your prayers jesus is the answer to every one of your trouble and this morning if you want to make jesus the lord of your life this is your moment i'm going to lead you in a short prayer now and if you repeat this after me the lord jesus will be the lord of your life and will change your life forever and you will be called his child can you all close our eyes please dear lord jesus lord i thank you for this moment lord lord i believe that you are the son of god and that you died on the cross for me and you washed away my sins lord and i believe that you resurrected lord jesus Lord I ask you to be the lord of my life wash my sins away and make me your child god in jesus name i pray amen if there's anybody here and you just prayed this prayer with me i request you to put your right hand up so i will give praise to god amen give me put your hands together and praise to god father we just thank you for this morning and thank you for speaking and strengthening our hearts and our lives we give you thanks father and i just pronounce your blessing on your people The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. In Jesus name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact@apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org. for additional resources thank you for listening and god bless you